Matthew 27, beginning verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. 
and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. They took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamathabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. 
Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Thank you, Pastor Gene, for the public reading of God's Word this morning. Thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to preach from Matthew 27. This is a tough passage, but it's a passage in which we see the depth of our sin, but it also causes us to rejoice in our Savior. And we just sang the chorus... Hallelujah, praise to the one whose blood has pardoned me. Oh, what a Savior, Redeemer, and King, your love has rescued me. You know, this morning I wonder if we give much thought to the words of that chorus or to the words of Matthew 27. Do we give much thought to the fact as Christ followers that we have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ? And what that really means. Do we understand what scripture says about Jesus being our savior, our redeemer, and our king? Do we understand when we are reading in Matthew 27 verses 45 and 46 that from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm convicted with the thought that if we spent more time thinking about what Scripture has to say about these particular questions, that we would be more burdened by our sin and at the same time have more joy in our Savior. This morning, I want us to spend some time in God's Word seeing how Scripture explains the depths of Matthew 27. And it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit uses Matthew 27 to convict us of our sin, but also give us great joy in Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you sent your one and only Son on earth to die for our sins. You did this for your glory. You did this for our joy. Lord, please use Matthew 27. Use your word to penetrate our hearts, Lord, that we may see you rightly, that we may see 
Jesus rightly this morning, Lord. Lord, please convict us of our sin, Lord. In a heart of repentance and faith, give us great joy in Jesus Christ. Lord, it's in his name we pray. Amen. You see, in order to understand the depths of God's love for us, we first have to understand the depths of our sin. Elementary kids, where's my elementary kids at this morning? If you're an elementary kid, raise your hand up real high. Awesome. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning to worship the Lord in song and to hear the preaching of the word. We are so excited that you are here with us this morning. And this week's elementary FDP lesson is focused on sin. So third and fifth graders, after this service, you're going to go to your classes. And you're going to learn that in the beginning, everything was perfect in the world. Until we broke it, until humanity messed it up. And in Genesis 3, when humanity chose to sin, the world that was once perfect became messed up and it became broken. Kids, listen, sin is a big deal. And it's more, much more than just breaking a rule. It's much more than that. Sin is ultimately a rejection of God himself. And the big truth for our third and fifth graders this morning is that we reject God's love. And because we have rejected God's love, the world is broken. There's death. There's pain. All creation groans as a result. And sin has also left us separated from God. And this is our biggest problem in life. We need forgiven and rescued from our sin and the effects of sin. We need to be restored into a right relationship with God. But listen, sin is not just something that we do. It's the posture of our heart. Jeremiah said in chapter 17, 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm going to be honest as one of your elders. I fear that as an affluent people that we are, located in the western part of the world, I fear that we have forgotten that our greatest need is to be reconciled back to our holy God. We have forgotten the depth of our sin, and because of that, we have forgotten the enormity of the grace we've been given in Jesus Christ. You see, our beliefs and our desires are often not informed by biblical truth. And because of this, I fear that we see something to be our greatest need that is far lesser than to be reconciled back to the Lord. And because of this, we're so quick to buy into the false gospels. False gospels that declare our greatest need is to meet our earthly desires. And we even see this in Scripture. We see this in the life of Peter. If we go back to Matthew 16, Jesus, he shows his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and raised. And what did Peter do? One of the apostles, what did he do? He pulled Jesus to the side and he said, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. R.C. Sproul says it this way, Peter was looking at things from a human perspective, 
assuming that live, a living Jesus was better than a suffering and dying Jesus. There is a world of difference between the things of God and the things of men. It is our nature, our habit, to focus our attention on the things of this world and give little thought to the things of God. See, Peter desired a Messiah that would not suffer. He desired a Messiah that would usher in the kingdom of God in a way that made sense to Peter. We also saw this in the life of the Jewish people of Jesus' time on earth. Just earlier in the week, just earlier in the week, the same week that Jesus was arrested. We see in Matthew 21 that as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem on, the, on a colt, the most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And others cut branches from trees and they spread them on the road. This is a massive crowd of Jewish people. And the crowds that went before him and they followed him and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. But on trial, Jesus did not look like the Messiah that had the power to overthrow Rome. They had their desire fixed on something else other than God's kingdom. Because they desired something lesser, and that was their focus, it was very easy for the religious leaders to influence the same people who were praising Jesus as he came into the city to now say, crucify him. Let him be crucified. Listen, church, I don't want us to miss this this morning. We are often just as blinded by our own earthly desires. As people who are alive in the year 2021, the gospel of self-care appeals to our earthly desire to be happy and to rid ourselves of anything that causes us stress. And that, go- and that gospel is often way more attractive than a gospel that calls us to take up our cross and follow Jesus. As Americans, a gospel that focuses on nationalism and earthly freedoms caters to what our hearts desire for this country. We often desire an ideal America more than a gospel that is centered on God's kingdom. As prideful sinners, a gospel that focuses on freeing us from the sins of others and what their sin has done to us appeals more to us than a gospel that declares that we need to be rescued from ourselves and our own sin. One writer wrote it this way, I identify most with the angry mob screaming, crucify him. That's who we should all identify with. Because apart from God's grace, this is where we would all be standing. And we're only flattering ourselves to think otherwise. Unless you see yourself standing here with the shrieking crowd full of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent Lamb of God, you don't really understand the nature and depth of your sin or the necessity of the cross. Church, that's you, that's me. Our biggest problem in our life is our sin. John Stott wrote it this way. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. For ultimately what sent Christ there was neither the greed of Judas nor the envy of the priests not the vacillating cowardice of Pilate, but our own grief, our own greed, envy, and cowardice, and other sins. 
and Christ's resolve and love and mercy to bear judgment and so put them away. For if there was no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness, except that he should bear it himself in Christ, it must be serious indeed. It is only when we see that stripped of our self-righteousness and our self-satisfaction that we are ready to put our trust in Jesus. Church, the greatest need of the Jewish people of Jesus' day and our greatest need is a Savior who will redeem us from our sin. Let that lay heavy on us this morning. But when sin entered the world, when sin entered the world in Genesis 3, God promised that he would one day defeat sin. He wasn't going to leave us there. He would one day defeat sin. He would restore man to communion with God, and he would make all things new. Make all things new. In Genesis 3.15, God, speaking to Satan, said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, talking about Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is God's first declaration that Jesus would be the victorious redeemer that we set our hope in. This, Jesus would be the victorious redeemer that would break the curse of sin. That leads us to the big truth for today. Jesus came to redeem his people from their sin. We have a Savior. It is so helpful. I just want to say as a side note, it is so, so helpful to study your Bible, to know God's word. Doing this will help you understand scripture and it will help you fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And this is particularly helpful in seeing how the Lord has been unfolding his redemptive plan to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's been unfolding this plan since the fall in the garden. After Genesis 3, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, God gave the people of Israel pictures and prophecies that foreshadowed and pointed to the coming suffering Messiah who would take away the sins of the world. A few examples of this can be found, one, in Exodus 12, the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb that protected the household of Israel by the shedding of its blood pointed to the blood of Jesus that would protect the people of God from God's wrath. In Leviticus 16, the day of atonement points to Jesus. And Jesus one day would fulfill the roles of the sacrificial goat, the scapegoat. And he would fulfill the role of the priest as well. In Numbers 21, the bronze serpent was raised on the pole to save those who had been bitten by the serpents of the wilderness. This pointed to Jesus who would one day be raised up to save the sinners. Isaiah prophesied of the suffering servant. When Isaiah speaks of the suffering servant, he's talking about an incarnate Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfilled all of these Old Testament pictures. He fulfilled all of them. John opens up his gospel by saying the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 John 2, 2, the Apostle John says, He is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. Jesus is the suffering Lamb who will shed his blood so that you and I can be redeemed to Jesus. 
Jesus came to redeem his people from their sin. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of a man, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God himself, willingly humbled himself as a man so that we might be saved from our sin. He entered into our mess. Isaiah, speaking of Jesus, said in chapter 3, For he grew up before him like a young plant, And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Jesus willingly humbled himself as a man. So that we might be saved from our sin. And as the God-man, Jesus was tempted by Satan, yet he did not sin. Where we fall, Jesus was victorious. And his sinless life and obedience in his heavenly Father throughout his entire life included the Garden of Gethsemane, and it also included him staying on the cross. And in this, Jesus proved to be the worthy and innocent Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he put proclaimed the truths of God's word. He accurately explained God's kingdom and what that meant. He called people to repentance. And he called out the religious leaders for their poor and deceptive leadership of the people. And as a result of this, the religious leaders sought to destroy Jesus because they were envious of him. And we read in Matthew 26 last week that the Jewish leaders charged Jesus with blasphemy because of his affirmation that he was the son of God. And now before Pilate, the governor, Pilate, asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You see, Pilate sought to keep political stability in Jerusalem. He didn't want anything to mess that up. He had already kind of gotten some trouble with Caesar, so he was trying to make sure everything was going right in Jerusalem. And the Jewish leaders, they knew this, and they played on that. They played on that. They knew that if they brought accusations against Jesus before Pilate, and they were any kind of political nature, that Pilate would be forced to appease the Jews. And now Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Jesus gave no answer. This fulfilled what Isaiah said in chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And Pilate said to him, 
you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Pilate had no idea. How does Jesus respond? He answers to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, Jesus willingly was going to the cross. Let's not miss that. It is so important we understand this. He was on a rescue mission. The king himself didn't send somebody else. He came himself. He was doing this on his own accord. In obedience to the Father, out of great love for us, Jesus willingly suffered so that we might be rescued from our sin. Jesus taught earlier in speaking of his own life, He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And then we see in Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And they put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. They put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. The Roman soldiers mocked Jesus as if he were a fake king. Little did they know he was the only one true king. Church, Jesus willingly suffered so that we might be saved from our sin. Isaiah says, speaking of Jesus, I gave my back to those who strike. It wasn't taken from him. He gave it. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Church, Jesus willingly shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And after the soldiers had beaten and they had mocked him, Matthew tells us in verse 32, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. This is important. You see, this drink was a mixture that intended to be some form of anesthesia for the one who was going on a cross. And don't mistakenly think that this was some form of mercy it wasn't they weren't given this so he'd feel better not feel the pain they would give this to the person who would be crucified as a way to kind of numb them so they'd be easier to crucify so they wouldn't put up much of a fight they weren't trying to help him but jesus refused to drink it he would willingly feel the physical torture of the cross He would willingly feel the full experience of taking on the holy wrath of his heavenly father. He would not be spared one ounce of it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. 
And when they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with them, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Sounds a lot like Satan in the garden, doesn't it? Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Church, as painful as this is to think about, and it is, do not allow yourself to look away from what was happening right there. Don't allow yourself to dismiss us. Dismiss it. Crucifixion was a painful and degrading thing. Jesus had been beaten so severely that the prophet Isaiah said that his appearance would be so marred that it would be beyond human resemblance. As Jesus hung on the cross naked and in severe pain, he was mocked by people walking by, by the religious leaders, by the Roman soldiers, and even by the robbers who were crucified with him. Jesus, God himself, had created all of them. He created all of them. They were his creation. And he was actually in the middle of taking their punishment for their sin. And they mocked him. But Jesus, in loving obedience, is purposefully staying on the cross. Trust me, God had the power to come off of the cross. He stayed there. He stayed there. He was staying on the cross for their sin. He was staying on the cross for your sin. He was staying on the cross for my sin. That's why we sing, it was our sin that held him there. Jesus knew this was going to happen. It was his mission. Just the night before, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that would represent what was currently taking place. Jesus said in the upper room, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus willingly shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The late R.C. Sproul said, This passage is a record of ceaseless torment and pain of various kinds. Mockery, abuse, embarrassment, terrible physical pain, taunting and gloating. This was a terrible ordeal for Jesus, but much worse was yet to come. We see in Matthew 27, verse 45, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't miss this church. Jesus willingly took on the wrath of the Father in our place. Jesus experienced the wrath of God not just for a moment, but for hours. And in pain, 
and in total darkness, Jesus experienced the cup of God's wrath. And for the first time in his life, he was alone. He was alone. Separated from his heavenly father who could not look on sin. But instead, the father was pouring out his holy wrath on his son who had taken on the form of sin so that we might be saved. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, we deserve God's wrath. It was because of our sin that Jesus suffered the wrath of God. But instead of giving us what we deserve, God gave us grace in Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Paul writes in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And on the cross, Jesus quotes David and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is quoting David as he's suffering separation from God for our reconciliation. Jesus knew what was happening. That's why he came to earth. It was no surprise to him that he was separated from the Father. He knew this had to be done. And like David, he quotes, he quotes David because he's like David and he still has faith in the Father. He's in pain, but he knows that God's good. Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. John said that Jesus' last words were, It is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus accomplished victory over sin while on the cross. And we see in verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. I don't have time to go in it, but you can go back in your Bibles and read in Exodus 26 that after God redeemed the, the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt, he had to build a tabernacle. And there was a place called the Holy of Holies in which only the high priest could enter once a year to make atonement, an atoning sacrifice by sprinkling blood on the throne in there and on the mercy seat. And that's how the Israelites would be atoned for their sins year after year. But obviously that sacrifice didn't have much efficacy or they wouldn't have to have done it year after year. And on the cross, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice whose atoning efficacy would last forever. And at the time of his death on the cross, the veil to the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem was tore from top to bottom. The people no longer needed access to the Lord via an earthly high priest. Jesus proved to be the true high priest who provided unrestricted access to the Lord. The veil was eliminated and God's people now had access to God through Jesus. Our biggest problem is our sin. Our biggest problem is we need reconciled to God. Jesus, in his victory, died on the cross and now we have access to God and it's unrestricted through Jesus Christ. First, do you see the gravity of your sin? Do you see the enormity of God's loving grace towards anyone who will repent and believe in him? This is the gospel. 
gospel. And there's a right response to the gospel. We place saving faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, the first thing he said was, repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the gospel message is a message of grace and of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. Knowing that because of our sin, we cannot earn our own salvation. But we must rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We place saving faith in Jesus, relying on Jesus' victory over sin. We place saving faith in Jesus Christ. But we also take up our cross and we follow him. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told the disciples, If anyone come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The gospel message is a message of grace and faith. The gospel message is also a message of repentance. We must turn from our sin and submit to Jesus as Lord. The gospel calls us to die to ourselves and to pursue obedience in Jesus, not as a way to earn our salvation, but as a response to our Savior. We turn from our sin, we die to ourselves, and we follow the true King. We also proclaim Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, For I decided to know nothing except you, I'm sorry, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We proclaim the gospel. We'll see later on in Matthew 28 that Jesus is resurrected. He defeats death. He comes out of the tomb three days later. And before he eventually ascends to heaven, Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have two different types of people in this room right now. There's those that are in Christ and there's those that are not. But listen, no matter which camp you fall in, you need to know this. The gospel is real. It's real. And we have to respond to it one way or the other. In reality, there is no indifference to Jesus because Jesus is not indifferent to his holiness or our sin. We either reject Jesus or we repent and believe. How are you responding to Jesus this morning? Have you ever repented of your sin and placed saving faith in Jesus? Have you accepted the sacrifice Jesus made on your behalf? If you haven't, we want to speak to you this morning. We want to pray with you. At the end of this service, you go out these doors to the left of that area called the hub. We have people that want to talk to you. They want to share the gospel with you. They want to pray with you. Please do not remain in your sin and continue to reject Jesus. Because Jesus provides salvation for everyone who repents and believes in him.
you are a Christ follower, how's your walk been with Jesus? Has your life been characterized by a life that is resting in the finished work of Jesus? The finished work of Jesus on the cross? And as a response to your salvation in Jesus, are you taking up your cross and following him? If you're in this room and you're a Christ follower, but you've just been struggling to just rest in Jesus or to pursue Christ's likeness, we want to pray for you. We want to come around you as your church family. Talk to us this morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We do this as a way to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. We do this to celebrate his victory over sin and death. And as we do this, we look forward to his return. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance for the church. And only Jesus' followers should partake in it. for the body of Christ. Parents, if you have children in this room and they are Christ followers, we invite them to also take the Lord's Supper with us this morning. But if they're not, if they've never placed saving faith in Jesus, use this as a teaching moment. Don't allow them to take the Lord's Supper, but use this as a teaching moment for them. The Lord's Supper is a serious and reverent act our hearts need to be ready and prepared to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So, will you pray with me before we do? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good. Lord, you gave us Jesus Christ to be the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was slain so that we could be saved by his perfect and precious blood. Lord, you didn't do this because there was anything good in us. You did this because of who you are. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, may we rest in him this morning. We sit at his feet and just rest in Jesus. Follow him, understanding that he is all that we need. He's accomplished victory over sin, Lord. The veil is torn. Now we have access to you through him. Thank you, Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.